If you've ever been driving along wondering if you're going in the wrong direction, it's a tremendous relief to see a sign with the name of the destination on it. Uh, and having seen the sign, the one thing that you'll make, do, make sure to do is go in the direction in which the sign is pointing. And in the book of Jonah, we have a sign that we want to follow today. In fact, in Jonah himself, we have a sign. A sign the Lord Jesus tells us about. Matthew 16, 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Luke eleven twenty nine. when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And particularly today we want to look at this second chapter uh, of Jonah uh, and Jonah in it as a sign pointing us to the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Uh, even in Jonah's days he was a sign, our Lord says, just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be a sign to this generation. Uh, we live in days when something greater than Jonah is here. And so we want to look this morning at what Jonah experiences in this chapter and let, let it point us forward to the one who is greater than him. We have three headings this morning, three things we learn from the, the deaths of Jonah and Jesus Though when I talk about Jonah dying, I don't mean literally that there are people who believe that, 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 that Jonah literally died in the fish and was brought back to life. Uh, I, I don't uh, subscribe to that, but symbolically here, Jonah does go through a death and resurrection. Certainly to borrow words from the shorter catechism, uh, we could say he was under the power of death for a time. Uh, so... Uh, when we talk about the, the death of Jonah, you can put it in inverted commas if you want, but symbolically, uh, that's what is being pictured for us. Uh, and our first heading uh, this morning is that their deaths were part of God's plan. Their deaths were part of God's plan. A young man hangs on a cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Of those who've followed him for the past three years, one has just betrayed him and the others have fled. It looks like an utter failure. It looks like a complete tragedy. And yet actually, as we thought about a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was exactly where God wanted him to be. He was exactly where he was, want, where he was meant to be in that moment. And we see the same thing here with Jonah. Jesus, of course, was on the cross because of obedience to his father, uh, whereas Jonah ended up in the fish because of disobedience. And yet God is still sovereign. God is presented as sovereign, uh, as in control from the very first verse of this book. In verse 1, he sends his word to Jonah. In verse 4, it's the, the Lord who hurls a great wind on the sea. And in the last verse of the chapter, it's the Lord who appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. In verse 3 of our chapter, Jonah says, You cast me into the deep, all your waves and your billows 
passed over me. Jonah knows that what's happening to him is not a mistake. And we could trace that theme throughout the whole book. The word appointed occurs four times in the book. It's there at the end of chapter 1 in the first verse we read uh, earlier. The Lord appointed a fish. And then three times in three verses in chapter 4 where we read that the Lord God appointed a plant, appointed a worm and appointed a scorching east wind. From the beginning to the end of this book, we're being told that God is in control of whatever happens, no matter how inconsequential something might seem. And the same God who appointed the worm also appointed the wheel and sent the storm. If someone gets eaten by a wheel anywhere in the world, it is headline news. If a a worm in your garden eats a plant, it it won't even get a mention in the free press. But God is in control of both. And so Jonah ends up in the slimy belly of the fish. And he's exactly where God wants him to be. It's a place he would never have chosen. But in God's plans and purposes, that is the place appointed for him. This morning you might find yourself in a place that you would never have chosen. But you too can be sure that it is the place that God in his good plan has appointed for you. It was so with Jesus on the cross. He prays in Gethsemane, Father if possible let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless not as I will but as you will. And then he goes to the cross knowing it is God's will for him. So the table that we come to today, it's not in commemoration of some tragic accident. Something that that happened when when God had uh, taken his eye off what was going on. What we come to is in remembrance of God's great rescue plan for the world. As you take the bread in your hand, you can be certain that this was the only way our sin could have been dealt with. But on the other hand, if you're not trusting in Jesus today, you have no hope of salvation. When Jonah comes to his senses, he'll say in verse 8, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And the message is, you either trust in Jesus Or you forsake your only hope of steadfast love. You cut yourself off from your only hope of salvation. If Jesus is on the cross. If Jesus is on the cross because he is exactly where God wants him. Which he is. Then what madness it would be to say well. Well that's alright for some people if they're going to trust in that. But I'm going to trust in going to church. I'm going to rely on the fact that I'm a good person. Imagine you're going to visit a friend for the first time. Uh, They live out in the country and they tell you, your sat-nav might try and take you down a certain road, but just ignore it because it'll take you to a dead end. But as you get nearer their house, you see uh, other cars going down that road uh, and and your sat-nav is telling you to go down it as well. You think they're doing it, it'll be okay. Ten minutes later, you find yourself stuck Uh, There are cars behind you, you can't turn around. You phone your friend, 
And they, they say, well, what more could I have said? I told you what would happen. And it will be infinitely worse than the day of judgment if we in this life have ignored Jesus' own words that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. The closing line of Jonah's prayer is a declaration that salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's a theme of the whole book. It means that salvation is the Lord's to grant and it can only be found in him. So Jesus' death was part of God's plan. That should bring tremendous reassurance if you're trusting in him. But if you're not, it's an urgent call to trust him before it is too late. Secondly, this morning, their deaths were in judgment for sin. Their deaths were in judgment for sin. Every so often you'll hear in the news that a prisoner is unlawfully at large. Sometimes it will go on for days with different sightings of them being reported. The police urging the public not to approach them and so on. But inevitably it seems that after a few days they're caught. Uh, These days we might even see the, the police body cam footage of their arrest. And then they go back to prison. Except now they have to stay longer And we think, well, what was the point of all that? A couple of anxious days on the run, the the illusion of freedom, and then justice catches up with them. And it's the same with Jonah. Justice soon catches up with this fugitive. His efforts to get away from God don't work. His efforts to hide down below deck don't work. The efforts of others to save him don't work either. Uh, There's an old Scottish writer, Patrick Fairburn, he he, he puts it like this. He says, justice pursued, afflicted, detected, exposed, demanded the criminal. Every effort of his own to conceal himself and every effort of others to save him were useless. Justice had its one simple, unalterable, inflexible demand. Justice demanded him. And when the demand was met, justice was satisfied. The sea ceased from its raging. Jonah, or God was angry because of Jonah's sin. Jonah couldn't run from God's justice. But throwing Jonah overboard pacified God's anger. And as Jonah hits the water and goes down under it, in the words of verse 5, the waters close in over him to take his life. He he says in verse 2, he feels like he was in Sheol. Sheol is an Old Testament word. It's sometimes translated as the grave. And certainly the belly of the fish seems like it's going to be Jonah's grave. Jonah feels like he has left the land of the living. In verse 6, he he describes where he is as a land whose bars closed upon me forever. And he is there because of sin. Just as Jesus was on the cross because of our sin, so Jonah is in the fish because of his own sin. 
One of the oldest statements of Christianity is known as the Apostles' Creed. It says about Jesus that he descended into hell. We don't take that to mean Jesus literally descended into hell, but that on the cross he bore the wrath of God, which otherwise we would have borne in hell for all eternity. Jonah figuratively goes down to Sheol. One guilty man is sacrificed and the ship's innocent crew go free. Whereas with Jesus, it is one innocent man going down to Sheol. One innocent man is sacrificed and the guilty go free. But in both cases, God's anger is satisfied. In both cases, the sacrifice of one man lets others go free. Another big similarity to notice under this second point between Jonah and Jesus is that their punishment includes the absence of God. Uh, Their punishment includes the absence of God. Uh, The complete absence of of God, of course, is impossible, uh, but the feeling of it isn't. Jonah says in verse 4, I am driven away from your sight. Jesus says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, the thing about Jonah is that this is what he wanted. He'd wanted to get out of God's sight. We're told twice in verse 3 of the book that he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And yet now as he stares down the barrel at his own death, he sees that the worst thing that has happened to him is that he is driven from God's sight. Have you ever had the thought even for a moment that it would be nice to go somewhere away from God, away from church, away from other Christians calling you to account, away from the voice of conscience? Well, we see from Jonah that when he gets all that he thinks that he wants, he doesn't want it at all. When he gets all that he thinks that he wants, he doesn't want it at all. And as I say, from Jonah's perspective now, the worst thing that has happened to him is that he's been driven away from God's sight. He doesn't say, I've destroyed my reputation. He doesn't say, I'm too young to die. He says, I am driven away from your sight. And similarly on the cross, facing his father's anger was something that Jesus had never experienced before. And on the cross, despite the huge physical suffering, Jesus doesn't say, my hands, my hands. He doesn't say, my feet, my feet. But he says, my God, my God. That unbroken fellowship he had known from all eternity is now shattered. And he went through that for you if you're trusting in him. So Jonah is in the fish and really that should have been the end of the story. Jesus should never have died but Jonah should have. That's what Jonah deserved. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. Uh, We deserve God's justice to catch up with us. Uh, We deserve to face the eternal consequences for what we've thought, said and done. For how we've taken God's good gifts and 
try to use them for ourselves, that we've used the gifts and abilities that God has given us to, to make ourselves look good rather than make God look good, for how we've been lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, disobedient, unholy. What does Jonah deserve at this point in the book? Absolutely nothing. And that's what we deserve too. And yet we're here today. We're here because of the one who didn't deserve what he suffered. Uh, The one who had done nothing to merit God hiding his face from him. Uh, And the one whose suffering turned away God's wrath. How should we respond to such amazing undeserved kindness? It's hard to improve on the words of the old English preacher William Jay. May the inquiry of our grateful hearts every moment be, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits to me? Every situation in life we have at least two options. We can ask why is this happening to me? Or we can ask what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? And as we go from here today, may that be above all the, the question we are asking. May that be the song of our hearts. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? <coughs> so then two men whose deaths were part of God's plan. Two men whose deaths were in judgment for sin. Thirdly and finally, two men whose deaths were not the end of the story. It should have been the end for Jonah. Why wasn't it? Quite simply because 800 years later Jesus would suffer in his place. And because in that moment in the belly of the fish Jonah prayed. Have you ever been in a situation where the only person who can help you is a person that you've had some major falling out with uh, and you've thought there's no point even asking them to help. Uh, I know they could help but I've burnt my bridges with them. If they see my name coming up on their phone they'll not even pick up. Maybe that person that even warned you that this was where you would end if you continued down a certain path but you ignored all their warnings and yet now the same person is the only one who can get you out of it. Well, surely Jonah must have felt similarly about God here. Humanly speaking, his time in the land of the living was just about over. If God was still on his side, there would be hope. But his last action before getting in that fateful boat had been to shake his fist at and deny the God of heaven. In verse 7, Jonah says, when my life was fainting away, he may have been literally losing consciousness at that point. But at that very moment, at the last gasp, faith kicks in and he prays. All his senses told him he was a goner, but faith looked to his Redeemer. What audacity, we might think. Can't he see that he's a totally uh, unworthy person to take God's name on his lips? 
He, he's a loveless, disobedient man who's suffering exactly what he deserves. And he has the nerve to ask God to fix it. Jonah is God's prophet. It has actually been less obedient than the fish, uh, which in, uh, in verse 10 spits Jonah out the first time he's asked. Unlike Jonah, the fish only needs to be asked once. But amazingly, God answers Jonah's prayers. Despite everything that he's done, God answers. And after three days and three nights, Jonah will come out alive from the belly of Sheol. Now, we know the story. We're expecting this. But imagine you hadn't heard it before. Imagine how shocking this would have been. Boys and girls, have you ever, have you ever watched a, a movie and, and you've seen it before, but the person beside you hasn't seen it before and they are on the edge of their seat. They're, they're, they're just watching it. They, they are so amazed. They, they don't know what's going to happen, but you know what's going to happen. Well, think if you'd never heard the story of Jonah before and all you know at this point is that he's been eaten by the whale. And then you hear that he prays to God. Is God going to answer his prayer? Jonah has been so bad. Will God answer? God answers. And we think surely it shouldn't work like that. What good deeds has Jonah done in the fish that God would would now listen to him? Uh, what good deeds could he possibly have done to undo the bad that he has done? But look where Jonah's hope is, verses 4 and verse 7. His hope is focused in God's temple in Jerusalem, the place where God could be approached through sacrifice, the place where blood was shed so men and women could be right with God. Uh, one old, old comment, commentator writes, everyone that reads the Bible knows that the temple was a type or a picture of Christ. Now that might actually not be obvious to many people today, but it, it is the key to understanding why Jonah's prayer is heard. The temple and all its furniture and all its sacrifices pointed to the Redeemer who was to come. And that's who Jonah puts his trust in. And as a result, Martin Luther says, God cannot resist helping him. His divine goodness cannot hold aloof. It must help him. Have you ever thought that you'd need to clean yourself up a bit before you come to God? Either as an unbeliever or as a believer. Do you think you'd need to sort your life out a bit or break a pattern of addiction before coming to him? Well, look at Jonah. He's covered in stinking slime. It's literally dripping off him. He, he knows he has nothing he can bring in his hands to please God, but he comes anyway. Who are you to take communion? The devil might be saying that to someone here this morning. Well, who was Jonah to expect God to do anything for him? And maybe the message that, that someone needs to hear this morning is that it's not about you. It's not about you. Uh, there's a phrase, isn't there? It's not about you, stupid. And maybe we need to say that to ourselves at times. Who are you to call yourself a Christian? Who are you to take communion? But it's not about us. It's about what Jesus has done. And Jonah's story is meant to make you think, 
Whoa, if God could be that merciful to Jonah, maybe he could be merciful to me too. Uh, Why do I say that it's meant to make us think that? Because it was meant to make the people of Nineveh think that. Jesus says in Luke 11 that Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. What happened to him was part of his message. Uh, Perhaps if we didn't read that in Luke 11, we might think, well, Jonah might have turned up to Nineveh and not mentioned what had happened to him. But for Jonah to be assigned to Nineveh, they had to know what had happened to him. Have you noticed uh, that there's no record of Jonah preaching anything but judgment to Nineveh? Uh, In in chapter 3, the the whole record of Jonah's preaching to Nineveh is just eight words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, now it is likely that Jonah said more than this, and we just don't have it recorded for us. But even if Jonah's message majored on judgment rather than mercy, the people of Nineveh could have thought, wait a minute, God isn't going to send a prophet hundreds of miles to tell us that we're going to be destroyed if there is nothing we can do about it. He must be warning us because it's not too late. And they should... They surely would also have thought, if the Lord who Jonah is talking about has been so merciful to him, then maybe he'll be merciful to us as well. And so they cried out to him, and they found out that he really was that merciful. They found out that he really was that merciful. The God who had mercy on his own disobedient prophet also had mercy on these murderous Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, this is your God. There's a line in Luke chapter 1 spoken by Jesus' mother Mary. Speaks of him, he will be born in remembrance of his mercy. God remembering his mercy. It says on the communion table, I think in remembrance of me. It could also say right alongside that in remembrance of his mercy. His mercy shown to Jonah and his mercy demonstrated above all in sending his son. That mercy which was sent to the the pagan city so long ago and that mercy which has come down to us today and which is pictured in the broken bread and poured out wine. What had to happen for the gospel to come with power to Nineveh? Jonah had to symbolically die and come back to life as proof of the message he was preaching and as a sign to Nineveh. And what had to happen for the gospel to go out beyond the nation of Israel? Jesus had to literally die, take the punishment for our sins and come back to life. In both cases, a prophet is under the penalty of death for three days and three nights. And in both cases, it's followed by the gospel going to the Gentiles. In Jonah's case, to Nineveh. In Jesus' case, to the world. Amen. Well, let's respond to what we've heard with the words of Psalm 130, uh, the B version on page 327. Psalm 130, the B version.
One of the amazing things about the Psalms that we sing is that some of the Bible characters that we read about would have sung them as well. And this is a psalm that was written before Jonah was born. Jonah would have known it. And he could have sung it with new meaning after his experience inside the fish. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried. Jonah had called to God from the literal depths. And our great hope as we sing this psalm today goes beyond Jonah to the Lord Jesus, who who more than anyone else knows what it is to cry out to God from the depths. So Psalm 130b, we sing it in confession of our sin and in rejoicing at God's mercy. Uh, The tune is martyrdom, if you're able, we'll stand as we sing praise.